Sisters Talk Brothers is a spoiler-filled podcast about the TV show Supernatural. Music credit goes to Hans Adam and their song in the Creative Commons called Paint the Sky. Driver picks the music, Shotgun shuts his cake hole. On with the show. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Kendall. And hello, world. Hi, world. Oh my gosh. So this is our first episode ever of Sisters Talk Brothers. We're going to be talking a lot of Supernatural. <laughs> so Hannah, why are we called Sisters Talk Brothers? Because we are sisters what? who are going to be talking about the Winchester Brothers. Exactly. Also, I'm younger and taller than you. Fair. Fair. There, there's a lot of parallels between us and the Winchester brothers, but we can get into that more later. <laughs> um, we are going to be doing a weekly podcast following the show Supernatural. You know, the show about the two hunky brothers who need some serious therapy. One episode at a time. We're going to talk plot, characters, supernatural shit, themes, ongoing threads, the whole shebang. And subtext. And subtext. There's probably more subtext than there is context. <laughs> so Very true. Don't listen to us if you've never watched, or do listen to us if you want to be informed on Supernatural and you just don't want to use your eyeballs to achieve it. I mean, you'll get about the same results. Basically. I mean, I don't know that our voices are going to sound as lovely as the people on the show look, but <laughs> we can work on that. I think we could give them a run for their money. <laughs> Just lean into the mic real close. Lower your voice like two pitches. Get a little bit of smokiness in there, right? Right? I do want to preface, um, we're not at all trained in this. I don't regularly compose essays or write any meta. Do, do you, Hannah? I don't write any meta or fan fiction. Yeah, no. We're just sisters who are fans, and we want to do this show to spend time together as sisters while we are living so far apart. And I have faith that the more we do this and the more we discuss the show, and as listeners write in to inform us, we will become pros at this. I mean, there's absolutely like 291 episodes that have already aired, and season 14 just started, so we have at least a couple of years to work on this. <laughs> at least. So, Hannah, maybe I know, but tell the world, how did you come to watch Supernatural? I found Supernatural at a sad place in my life, and while it wrecked me in a way that no show ever has, I think it really gave me something else to focus on other than being in a place I didn't want to be. Instead, I got to be with the Winchesters fighting monsters every week. The show changed me, and it touched me. <laughs> so it was like escapism for you. Absolutely. I could step into this whole other world where, like, there isn't much happy. I mean, maybe early on in the show there's some happy, but it's a really dark show. But the fact that, you know, family is at the heart of it, 
like whether it's by blood or not. It just it has such a good message in that. I feel ya. Um, I had a very different intro to Supernatural. You had a couple intros to Supernatural. I had a couple intros to Supernatural. My first one was, oh, actually, it was 2008. And a friend of ours had bought the first season or whatever at Walmart and was like, I've heard some good things about the show. Let's watch it. And so, like, a group of, like, six or seven of us sat down and watched just the first episode of that. I think that is as far as we got. <laughs> and we were like, uh, dork fest, whatever. Until a few years later, I think I got a voicemail from you that was just you sobbing. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, that might be an exaggeration, but quintessentially... You were just upset, so I called you back, and you were like, "And there's this angel, and he he didn't mean to make bad choices, but it was just bad choices." <laughs> and and in just trying to like comfort you and trying to understand this show, I was like, "What the diddly fuck is going on?" <laughs> um, yeah, um, there was season one through six when I started watching it. And at the end of season six, I fell apart. I remember uh, mom walking in and she thought someone had died. <laughs> but it was just me upset over Castiel's betrayal. <laughs> I was a mess. Which, that's at least two years down the road for us. So we don't need to worry about that just yet. No. I was about to move to Korea. And so I promised you that we would watch Supernatural together. Is that right? Yeah. And so we binge-watched... Man, we have binge-watched so many shows together. <laughs> but we binge-watched Supernatural together before I left for Korea. And then I continued watching while I was in Korea. And that's when I started reading Supernatural and became, like, a real fan. Sorry, I began reading Supernatural fan fiction. And that's that's when I said I, would, I became a real fan. Once it, like snowballed into fanfic territory. <laughs> That's when you know you're a true fan, when you start thinking out other fans' work. Exactly. Um, well, I think we already covered your feelings on Supernatural. Yeah. How much of a Supernatural fan would you say you are? Oh, wow. Um, well, if you had asked me a few years ago, I would have said it would have been like an 8 or a 9. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I've really calmed down, even... Though I have, you know, a couple of tattoos and a lot of merchandise. <laughs> I do think I've calmed down. Like, I'm not constantly seeking out new Supernatural stuff online. I just appreciate what comes my way. Mm -hmm. um, so, I would give it a 7. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not really sure where I that I could enumerate my fanness. I think these days I'm much more of a casual fan. It's definitely one of those shows that I can binge, but that I need a break. Because especially once you just keep going on in those later and later seasons, it's just like, come on, can you please communicate? Just talk about it. Just just talk about it. Just use your words. Mother, you lied. <laughs> Alright. Anything else you want to say before we start? No. Nope. Okay. Nice and succinct. I like it. Well, then, we are going to start with Season 1, 
episode one with the scintillating title of Pilot. Alright, so we open in Lawrence, Kansas, 22 years ago, and this premiered in 2005, so we are in 1983. Uh, we meet a happy family, saying goodnight to their very, very chill infant. We learn the name of this child is Sam. How old is this Sam baby supposed to be? Six months. Six months. Alright. Very chill six-month-old. Um, middle of the night, Mary, the mother, hears the Sam baby crying. The Sam baby? The Sam baby. She goes to check on it. She's calling for her husband, who's named John, and she sees what she believes to be John sitting with the infant's cradle, so she's like, chill, whatever, I'm going back to bed. You know, she's a very tired mother, but then she sees light flickering. And this was the first time... I've gone back and watched the first episode since I knew Mary was a hunter. So this was, like, the first little, like, mind fuck for me. <laughs> like, why didn't you think more of that? Well, all I could think was, Mary, the lights are flickering, and you're thinking, oh, is this a light bulb issue? <laughs> like, she's not even tapping the light bulb. She's tapping the glass around the light bulb. I'm like, Mary, woman, come on. You have been a hunter. You Do you were- understand fixtures? <laughs> yeah. Um, but then she hears noise downstairs, and she realizes that her husband passed out in front of the TV. So, no, that was not her husband sitting over the child's cradle. So she runs back up, and we hear her screaming. Husband downstairs wakes up, and you can tell by his T-shirt, he's former Marine Corps. And this former Marine Corps hears his wife scream, Runs upstairs with zero weapons, which is unlike any former Marine I know. And when his screaming wife is not there, he immediately relaxes. <laughs> yeah, he just calms down. He's like, oh, hey, little baby Sam. Hey, if the baby's happy, everybody's happy. Little did I know that Sam is, in fact, the most relaxed baby ever. Like, just put this baby on a beach with a glass in hand, like... He is so chilled out. He's fine. But then the blood drops down from the ceiling. He looks up. Oh, no. Wife is glued to ceiling, you know, as they are wont to do. And she becomes inflamed. And the fire effects on this? Really good. Like, fantastic fire CGI. Like, so good to the point that I'm like, how did John survive this flame? Because he hands baby Sam off to older brother Dean. John runs back in to save his wife, which is dumb. And how did he survive the flames? Because, like, they even show an explosion, like, going out towards the door. Whatever. Next thing you know, he is outside with Dean and Sam. The firefighters have arrived. And as we close out this opening scene, you can see the vengeance in John's eyes. (laughs) And I think, it just now occurs to me, this is, like, probably the last time we see John Winchester until middle end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, like this poor actor. He's like, oh, cool, I'm playing this hunter dad. Oh, I have like ten shots total. Uh, okay. All right. I guess I'll just be on call then. Um, And we see our first Supernatural title cut. It, so having now been watching Supernatural pretty consistently for the last 13 years, oh my god. Long road. This is a very simple title cut. What did you think about 
What do you think about this title cut, considering you've watched the first season like five million times? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. There are better <laughs> ones. Okay. Good thoughts. <laughs> they did like the little ghost jumpy thing. I don't know. I thought it was like simple but effective. They didn't like get more intricate with it. Like They oh, take yeah. some time with it in the future. Like working in details from the season. Mm-hmm. Did you have any extra thoughts to add in about that whole opening intro to the Winchesters? I mean, in my notes, I did point out that John sleeping in front of the TV was a testament to the real state of their marriage. Dean had said later on in the show it was only perfect after she died. Mm. I mean, minor detail, but... No, yeah. Honestly, I took that to be, like, he had trouble sleeping, so he went downstairs to, like, get, watch some TV so he wouldn't bother his wife. So he could fall asleep, but potentially also indicative of problems in the marriage. Again, I have not rewatched most of this in a long, long time. So we cut to Stanford, present day, so 2005. So Sam is probably around the age of 23. Yes, no, no, yes. 22. But he was already six months old when the fire happened 22 years ago. So if he had a birthday, math is hard. Okay. So you're saying he's 22? Yeah. Okay. So we meet a typically emo Sam who hates Halloween. Ew. You know how I feel about Halloween. And where is your costume? <sighs> you know how I feel about Halloween. <laughs> Emos for, like, Halloween's for losers who don't understand that the vampires are real. I'm too intense for that. Which, I mean, even if you're against the realness of monsters, there's plenty of goofy kid stuff about Halloween you can enjoy. And just, please, like, indulge your girlfriend. Absolutely. I mean, Dean, we find out later, loves... Halloween just because of all the candy that's going around. So, like, yeah. come on. Live a little. Take time out to enjoy your life. Absolutely. We meet his girlfriend, Jess, played by Adrian Palicky? 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 Padalecki? Not Padalecki. <laughs> um, I love her. Anytime I see her in something, I, like, jump, like, yes, hi, you! <laughs> Uh, she's a fantastic actress. More recently known, probably for, at least in my life, uh, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and The Orville. But yeah, um, I kind of wish they had brought her back instead of Mom. Uh, Ooh. but they, I know, isn't that like a very controversial? Urgh. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm enjoying the, the Mom's back stuff, but in terms of, like, actresses. I think it's just weird to try and put her back, because she's been dead for so long, like, weird for her. Mary Winchester or Jessica Moore? The mom. Ah. Well, it's less weird. getting off topic. It's less weird for mom, because at least she's a hunter, and she can handle with this, like, whole, I was dead, but now I'm alive again stuff, whereas if you brought Jessica Moore back, she would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> and two, what am yeah, I... Yeah, mom can hang. Yeah, mom can hang. I just, I really enjoy the actress who plays Jessica Moore. 
Anyways. Yeah, you just want to see her more. They're discussing Sam's academic success at the party. He's such a brainiac. He scored a 174 on the LSAT. Oh. Is that good? Scary good. <laughs> uh, everyone's throwing peanuts at each other because that's what you do when you're acting awkwardly and don't know what to do with your hands. And Jess is the best. That's basically my summation of that scene. Yeah, I didn't have any notes on that at all. No, it's just them. It's basically only there to let us, the viewers, know that Sam is, like, super-duper smart. And the normal. He's the yeah. normal one. He's normal? Well, we don't know yet he's normal. We just know that he's super-duper smart, and he doesn't like his family all that much. Yeah. Um, back at their house, Dean does his noisiest beanie ever. <laughs> this... This 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 young man right here is a pale shadow of the true criminal he will become later on in life. <laughs> criminal? Well, you know, in the eyes of the normal person. Thirteen years later, Dean is a pro. Uh, they do a shadowy fight in the dark. That's fun. And then, oh my gosh, we hear Dean's baby voice. It's because you're out of practice. <laughs> Or not. He's uh, so young. He's so young, and he hasn't met Castiel yet, so he doesn't need to do the I can talk deeper than you fight yet. So it's like a competition of manliness. He just wants to impress his future boyfriend. Oh my god. <laughs> we don't want to alienate all the other shippers out there. Jeez. So we meet Dean and his baby voice, and he greets us by making gross comments about Jess. So this show is not woke yet. Really, really inappropriate. Very inappropriate. Like, okay, one, that's just inappropriate in general. Two, super inappropriate in front of your brother. Like, you're talking to his girlfriend. I'm surprised Sam didn't just deck him out right then and there. Yeah. Because, I mean, even throughout the series, you know, he's inclined towards the ladies, but I don't know. I think the the first episode really lays it on thick. Yeah. Like, they want to shove it in your face that he is all about the ladies. Well, this first episode really is all about just, like, hitting us over the head with, this is their character, right off the bat, so you understand who this character is, which is great, because a lot of shows do fail in the first episode especially to really, like, establish who that their characters are. Granted, we only have two characters to get to know, <laughs> but this show was like, it's only two characters, but we're not taking any chances. Sam's the brainiac who wants the normal life. Excuse me. And Dean's the womanizer who's like, the bad boy who really loves the hunting life. Like, ugh. I caught a bunch of references to John's alcoholism that I never caught before. Like, the Jim, John, and Jose, that's an easy one, but, yeah. like, uh, the... Like, I didn't catch that when I first watched it years ago. I was just, like, a bunch of drinking buddies is what I thought. Your brother said he was on some kind of hunting trip. Oh, yeah, he's just deer hunting up at the cabin. He's probably got Jim, Jack, and Jose along with Yeah, but, like, uh, Dean says, you know, Dad's went on a hunting trip and he hasn't been back yet. And Home in a few days. Yeah, and Sam is like, well, he probably just, like, forgot to clock out of his Miller Lite time. So he's working overtime on a Miller time shift. He'll stumble back in sooner or later. Dad's on a hunting trip. 
And he hasn't been home in a few days. And I think, like, the first time I watched this, I just took that to mean, like, he was working at the mill <laughs> and is working overtime. <laughs> I didn't realize, oh, he's drinking Miller Lights. Okay, he's... <laughs> oh, the innocence. And then as soon as Dean does the official, he went on a hunting trip and hasn't been back in a few days line. Suddenly, Sam's like, Oh, yeah, Jess, you can't be here for this. Bye. <laughs> yeah, which, wouldn't that strike her as odd? Because at first, he's like, anything you can say in front of me, you can say in front of her. And then, okay, no, we're going to take this outside. Yeah, but so, and, and it's hunting. Like, I'm pretty sure Jess, is, she is smart enough. She goes to Stanford to be like, what is so bad about a hunting trip? Like, she knows something is up. She's got to. Absolutely. It was later when Sam is suddenly like, yeah, I'm going to go get him. He's just like out in a cabin. She's so suspicious and she's asking again and again, like, are you sure you're okay? Are you sure you need help? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, as she pointed out, you never talk about your family and now you're taking off for the weekend with them? Especially when we've already established Smarty Pants here has an interview on Monday to go to Stanford Law School for a full fucking ride. Like, that's no small deal. Which I can appreciate as her character because, like, you can tell that she's concerned, but she's also not pushing it. Jess is the best. She is the best girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. So from here, we have, like, the worst part of the entire episode, which is where we have lots of exposition talk between the brothers. And, like, where the fuck are they even walking? Because they're, like, going through alleyways and shit and, like, through cast iron doors. Yeah, I guess we just didn't, we don't get a good feel for where Sam is living. Maybe there weren't any good establishing shots for me. Because all I can see is one second they're in a really nice apartment and next you're in a really, like, weird alleyway. But anyways. Yeah, and and did Dane come that way when he broke in? I guess so, because his car was parked right where he exited. I don't know. But anyways, what so they're a complicated talking... way to get into your apartment. Like, <laughs> and why didn't Sam just take him back out the front door? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> why aren't they just walking down like a hallway? We gotta go out the back. Why aren't they going down the elevator? No, they've gotta be like all gritty and shit as they're discussing how they were raised. We were raised to be soldiers and warriors. And, of course, Sam is, like, bitching about all this, and all I can think is, on the bright side, that's there's some really, like, valuable skills that you could probably apply to different areas of life. <laughs> like, he yeah, raised like, you... you don't have to be a hunter, but you have skills to do many other things. He raised you to be a survivor. I mean, especially, like, wouldn't it be worse as a parent to be like, okay, I know things like werewolves exist, but I am in no way going to teach my child about them, how to look for them, or how to hunt them. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least you're prepared for anything that could happen. Yeah. Sam, in the beginning, is very much... He has his reasons, but he's definitely in that stage where he can only see the negative side of the things. He's whiny and judgy. And so Dean admits that he's lonely, which, hey, I'm going to point out, way to talk about your feelings. Proud of you. It did make me wonder, though, because I don't know that we ever really get a sense of this, but, like, how much did John... Because we're we're to assume that at least for the last two years, it has been just Dean and John. How much has John been including Dean in his hunts? Um, Well, I would think not very much, because um, he even tells Sam, once they get to the trunk, 
that he had been going on some solo hunts. Right. And then, but Sam's like, Dad's letting you go out on a hunt by yourself? Like, which tells us that John is either really protective or really controlling, or maybe some combo of both. Definitely both. But I, just, I feel like whenever we get flashbacks in the future, it's always of John out hunting and the boys kind of left by themselves. I don't think we ever really see that transition of when John starts to take Dean out on hunts with him. Like, at what age did John say, all right, it's time for you to come hunt this thing with me, you know? Yeah, we never do get that. But they mention it from time to time. Yeah, I feel like I would have appreciated just a little bit of that at some point throughout the series. Because especially, like, when we start out in this season, especially when you're looking back at this season, there's a lot of, like, how come you aren't better at this? Like, if you literally grew up doing this... Why are you not better at it? I'm trying to think yeah. of a better way to say it, and I can't think of any word but better. So we'll get to more of that in just a little bit. Uh, so the case is this. Men are going missing out in California on this same stretch of road, and a car is left behind. They bring up the idea that maybe it's a kidnapper, but then Dean's like, no, because there's so many people that have gone missing. I don't know why they don't think it's a serial kidnapper, but okay. John went out three weeks ago. Well, also, the difference of time from the first one to the most recent one, that's a long span of time, and most people don't live that long. No, because they said the first one was 1981, so it's been happening for a span of, like, 30 years. I could totally see some backwoods cannibal, like, just taking their time, kidnapping a dude every now and then, putting him in the freezer, like... It's it's within the realm of possibility. But the clincher, the clincher here is that Dean left, not Dean, uh, John left a voicemail for Dean telling him to be safe and that we're all in danger. Which, that doesn't become clear until later, because I heard that and I was like, what the fuck? Like, as I, I know that this first case, I know that it's just a ghost. I'm like, why are you saying we're all in danger? Especially when your sons are like hundreds of miles away. Well, and you're all hunters. I mean, everybody's always in danger. There's always something out there. Well, thanks, Dad. You and um, I recording this are in danger right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is the specific danger? Because there's a lot of it out there. Exactly. Um, Sam, because he's a brainiac, snobbly points out that there is some supernatural static. Uh, but Dean's way ahead of him, and he pulls out the ghost mail, which says... I can never go home. Dean guilt Sam into going with him. Jess is confused. Anything else about... Like, there was just a lot of talking, I think, throughout all of that. Hmm. Well, I did think it was weird that Dean said that it had been three weeks since John had gone missing. It had been three weeks before he, you know, decided to go get Sam. And I would think in their line of work that he would get concerned Sooner than that. <laughs> Sooner than three weeks. I, fair, but Sam also, in all his talk, 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 does point out how many times, like, their dad has gone missing before and then turned up. So I'm guessing, like, two weeks was pushing it, and then at, like, two and a half weeks. I, I really think that the inciting event was the voicemail. I think if he hadn't gotten the voicemail, Dean probably would have waited, like, a month. And after a month, been like, Mm, something's not right. But I think the voicemail made him think, no, this isn't normal. Let's go. Okay, yeah. My question was, he doesn't know where his dad is, 
but he has all these printouts that his dad was researching. Where, where was, how? <laughs> where did you get your information? Yeah, because it doesn't seem like they had a home base. Like, this is way pre-bunker, so... <laughs> yeah, they were still motel to motel. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we do a trick cut to driving down the road. We think it's Sam and Dean. It ain't. It's just some rando driving down this road when he sees a hot girl on the side of the road. So he hangs up on his girlfriend. Um, Which, honestly, if I saw someone glitching out on the side of the road, I wouldn't stop for her. No. I would probably just call the police and be like, yo, be kind. <laughs> Take care of this lady. Um, but she is played by another actress I love, Sarah Shahi. Like, so many amazing, beautiful actresses in this just first episode. They nailed it. They could not afford either of these actresses anymore. <laughs> just saying. And this guy is a total skis bag. He's like, girls like you shouldn't be out here alone. Blech. Well, um, he stops and asks her if he if she had car trouble, but there is no car around. Yeah, and <laughs> like, they're doing so lots dumb. of and they're doing lots of male gaze shots on her. Like this is specifically his point of view that is just looking straight down his shirt. So at this point, I'm like, yeah, ghosty, fuck him up, kill him. I'm already sad that he's breathing air. He she invites him home, and he agrees with a quickness. He's like, we cannot take you home fast enough. Uh, her house is old and abandoned, which makes him confused. Then she disappears, which makes him more confused. He shouldn't have got out of the car. That was dumb. <laughs> Fuck him. I was driving somebody home, and I looked to my right. They're there. I looked forward, looked to my right again. They're gone. I reverse, squealing out of there. No time wasted. <laughs> Because he gets out and he's like, what, do you want me to go? Like, seriously, dude, if she would have gotten out of the car like a normal person, you would have heard the car door. Yeah, so he's gross and dumb. Really, we're better off without him. Uh, the effects here are really... There's a lot of great effects here. Like, the fire shots are good. The... What are you called? Like, the static shots where, like, she's here and then suddenly her arm is out like the, that kind of those jump cuts are really great mm-hmm. the little shot the foggy handprint on the window windshield like really great effects he looks for her he gets spooked by animals in the house and he drives off and then suddenly she's in the car with him so he screams and he busts out into this old abandoned bridge in his Volkswagen and we see blood spatter inside the foggy car which, from what I saw, he was driving straight, and then she, he saw her in there. It didn't look like he swerved at all. He just drove straight onto that bridge. All I can think is, like, she was grabbing him, and in his tenseness, he was just screaming and pushing on the gas. I mean, I don't know. We've already established he's not very smart. He's not very smart. No. So, he's dead, and we don't care. But at least now we kind of know what we're investigating. Cut to gas station daytime. And we get some more condescending exposition from Sam about how Dean gets his money. They do credit card for all. So judgy. So judgy. How does he expect them to have an income? You know, unless, like, they started being hunters for hire. 
<laughs> Which actually wouldn't be a Which, bad idea for a spinoff. It wouldn't be a bad idea, but then Sam would be so judgy about, like, you can't charge people for their lives. Which isn't that, like, commentary on America and the world at large. Jeez. Well, I mean, there, there's that aspect of it, but then you also have things like, hey, do you, does your child have a problem with vampires? <laughs> Call us. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Like the, an actual Ghostface or spinoff, but if the Ghostfaces were legit, oh, I can't wait. Facers. I can't wait for Ghostfacers in like three years. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, Sam's being super judgy, especially considering that like in the sum total of like twenty four hours, he's going to be hella on board for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also judgy about his music, which the music part is just again to try and establish. Dean as a character, that Dean likes all this old school rock and roll. Molly rock. And we get like our first, our first old school rock and roll music. Yeah. And that's basically the whole point of that scene. They drive on, and they come across the car wreck. And we get to see Dean and Sam's first in the series, rudimentary attempts at officer impersonation. was awful. Man, they really improve in this in the future. <laughs> they have. Like, they, they, Dean, like, blew their cover with, like, his just flippant attitude of the cops. So what's the theory? Honestly, we don't know. Serial murder? Kidnapping ring? Well, that is exactly the kind of crack police work I'd expect out of you guys. <laughs> and then he gets mad at Sam for, like, stomping on his foot, which... Sam was not subtle. They looked so suspicious. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, like, once you get to all the later seasons, like, you don't bat an eye at them, like, walking up and being FBI or being marshals or being whatever. Like, this very first episode, it makes it seem like, they're impersonating officers. How are they going to get away with this? Just give it four seasons. Oh, yeah. Again, this is one of those points where, what has John been doing all this time? We do see later in the episode that John was impersonating a reporter, which that's an approach we don't see the boys take a lot in the future. Mm-mm. But again, like, what has John been teaching them in terms of, okay, he's been teaching them how to defend themselves against the monster, but it seems like he hasn't been teaching them actual applicable hunting skills. And how to hunt. Right, interacting and with blend. the world skills because, like, yeah, they got the hand to hand combat down, mm-hmm. but their acting skills are terrible. Exactly. They barely got away with this. They learned nothing new, and they only pissed each other off, which I have to say, they're doing a great job acting like siblings. <laughs> My only last thought on this was where did the blood splatter go? They were, they specifically said there's no, like, fingerprints, no sign of anything. Like, I can just imagine Ghosty pulling out her housewife gloves and a little spray can. No, I'll be honest. Bleach. I didn't notice the blood was gone. <laughs> yeah, she bleached the car. Like she dextered his ass post murder. She's like, "This is totally going to ruin my image if I leave blood behind." So, and where does she? Where, where do the bodies go after they have been ghost murdered? Yeah, that's right, because they were just missing. Because mm-hmm. usually when they solve these cases, we find all the victims at some point. Or we, yeah. we recall, yeah, 
Here, they never recovered the bodies, and there was never any, like, apparently she just poofed them off to the astral plane. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this at the end, but they did a very bad job with this case. (laughs) (laughs) This is sloppy field work. Again, because it's like the first time actually doing this on their own. Dean says he was off working a solo case with some voodoo case off in New Orleans. I'm pretty sure his dad sent him on the most level one easy grade case because obviously these two have no idea how to go about doing any of this. Give him a kitty case. Yeah. <laughs> there were training wheels attached. He had pre-solved the case and left an itemized list of steps for <laughs> Dean to take. <laughs> Gave him instructions. I, I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm pretty sure that's how it happened because we'll see by the end of this, they did not solve this. <laughs> They do find the girlfriend, and again, they're really bad at lying. Oh yeah, we're your boyfriend's uncles? And she's like, really? Really? <laughs> Classic Troy. Literally never heard of you. I have met his entire family. I went to family reunions. You were never there. But she's more than happy to talk to him. Yeah, but she met him in a public space, and her friend was present. Did you notice that? Yeah, smart girl. Very smart. And apparently... She and her best friend are pretty goth. I'm loving it. And they know all the details. <laughs> all the information you could ever need. They solved this case for Dean and Sam. <laughs> John had to go around and like do grunt work. Nope, these two girls just handed it, put it in their laps, with an itemized list of steps to take for Dean and Sam to solve this case. <laughs> that they did not follow. Cut to an old school internet search in a freaking library. This is adorable. <laughs> I'm guessing Dean hasn't figured out yet that credit cards are good for more than food, gas, and motels. And he hasn't bought yeah. a decent laptop yet. yet. <laughs> um, so they find out that Ghosty is named Constance. Uh, her babies died on her watch. And so she killed herself on the same bridge where their Volkswagen crashed. So they go back to this bridge. Not sure why. Because um, it's not like they pull out their handy-dandy EMF detector thing. Nope. They basically just go there to have an emo conversation. They have a bromant. They have a bromant. Like, they're actually talking and having conversation. And again, it's a lot of, like, background details. I didn't feel like taking lots of, like, specific notes about everything here. Yeah, I got no notes on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... It's just basically, like, Dean being sad that Sam has been gone for so long, and Sam being like, yo, our family's fucked up, like, why would I want to be a part of it? Uh, we should all just move on with our lives. As far as, like, plot goes, I mean, he says, why are we even hunting the damn thing? Even if we find it, it's not going to bring her back, and then Dean gets all mad, like, don't you talk about her like that. Well, now, and that was a thought I had here. Why are they so intent on solving this case? Like, their purpose that has been stated is find Dad. And now they are not finding Dad. They are doing nothing to find Dad. They are only doing things to solve this case. I guess you could say with some logic that they think that maybe their dad became a victim of this ghost, and in solving the ghost case, they will find their dad's corpse, potentially, even though they never find any of the victims. Yeah, it's a wonder the ghost didn't attack him anyway, because... But that's the only thing I can think, is that they're thinking that maybe Dad became a victim. We need to figure out why he didn't solve this case in order to figure out if he's alive or dead or not. Well, I mean, Dean is more intent on saving people than Sam is, to be honest. 
True. Sam Sam is very much focused on, I came with you to find Dad. I did not come with you to solve a ghost murder. And Dean is much more like like a puppy dog. Like, I'm getting to spend time with my brother, Sam. We're doing the thing I love to do together. Like, this is family time. <laughs> quality family time. This is quality with family time. the Winchesters. Time. Well, I mean, it's not like he got, like, Sunday dinners. So, like, <laughs> Ghosty appears on the bridge. And then she possesses the Impala to run them down. And this was one of those moments that doesn't get, it doesn't get pointed out until seasons down the line at how fast of a runner Jensen Ackles, the actor, is. Mm-hmm. But in this very first episode, you could see how fast of a runner he is because Jared has, like, so much height and stride on him. But when they are running down that bridge... Jensen is, like, zooming in front of... So Jensen playing Dean is zooming in front of Jared and actually, like, has to slow himself down to stay in pace. And I just love those Um, moments. (laughs) I wanted to point out that um, the way they both jump over the side of the bridge speaks to their characters because Dean rushes headlong without much thought and goes right over into the water. But then Sam is more calculated and methodical and hangs onto the side of the bridge. Okay. I didn't notice the actual jumping part. I did notice afterwards, though, that, you know, obviously Sam had to have held onto the bridge because he's able to climb up. Meanwhile, Dean barely escaped his own inadvertent suicide <laughs> and has washed up on shore <laughs> and, and smells ridiculous and is super dirty. But this was a good bonding moment for them. You know, near death, it brings us all closer. Of course. Of course. And Sam tells him he smells like a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they decide to go to a motel to get cleaned up. And they just so happen to go to a motel where a credit card under the same last name as theirs was used. Dun, dun, dun. So they know that Daddy used this motel. Which, again, this made me a little angry because... As they were driving into this town, Sam got the phone. He was like, okay, none of the hospitals or the morgues, so they're being realistic. Neither hospitals nor morgues have reported someone matching our father's description. But they did not then decide, okay, let's go check all the local motels. (laughs) Which wouldn't you? I mean, you would think. Because later on we know that Sam and Dean have this thing. You just go for the first hotel or motel in the phone book. Anyway, to find each other. Yeah. So apparently there is no system between Dean and their father, which again speaks to how much did John actually take Dean out hunting with him. I'm really beginning to doubt. I think he kept Dean at an arm's distance from all this hunting stuff, which again is really, you know, kind of headcanoning how... This first season, they seem so ignorant. <laughs> More informed than... They haven't got quite their hunting legs. Exactly. <laughs> um, so they go to their dad's empty... Mo- well, it's not an empty motel room, but it's empty of people. <laughs> but it's filled with murder wall. Sam quickly figures out what they're hunting here. Dean goes to shower. Sam tries to communicate. Dean does his toxic masculinity thing. Hey, Dean. What I said earlier about mom and dad, I'm sorry. No chick flick moments. <laughs> All right. No chick flick moments is a lie. They have a lot of them. 
Yes, they have lots of chick flick moments. It's called having emotions and being human and needing to talk it out. Yes. And they also have their first jerk bitch moment. Which happens a lot. It happens a lot. It's not really an ongoing theme so much, so I mention it here. Yeah, it doesn't happen as much as in later seasons. Yeah. They've kind of left that behind. What I really do love about this dynamic, and in this sense it does make sense that they don't continue it on as they develop a greater relationship and haven't spent two years apart and are actually hunting together and being in a family and in business together. Anyways, the whole, like, Sam saying jerk and Dean coming back with bitch, like, it makes you think of, like, ten-year-old Sam thinking, oh, what's the meanest thing I can call my big brother? Oh, jerk. (laughs) Dean being, like, four or five years older being like, yeah, what up, bitch? And so I think it really just does speak to their dynamic and to Sam's innocence and to Dean's, not to say worldliness, but kind of jadedness. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. He showers and he decides he wants to go grab food. Uh, and as he steps outside, we realize the local constabulary has caught on to their scheme. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't hard. No, probably reported by the motel owner who was like, hey, (laughs) I think these credit cards are fake. (laughs) Dean gets arrested, but he's able to tip Sam off. So apparently they do have some codes. I don't know what 5, I don't know if 5 is a already established code in like real world or that's kind of just a Sam The 5 is the cops. What does 5 stand for? I don't know. I mean, it stands for the cops. I don't know how it started, but everybody, most people, it's a thing. Like, in the real world, it's a thing? Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I I have heard many names for cops. I've never heard 5 Unless you're talking about Hawaii 5 Oh, it's about Hawaii cops. Okay. <laughs> I just thought it was, like, an abbreviated, like, area code thing. I don't know. I never watched the show. I never watched. I just heard the name and saw, like, dudes in, like, barely buttoned Hawaiian shirts. Like, (laughs) that's all I know about it. So Dean goes to, well, he, he gets arrested and taken to the station where the cops have John's journal, and now we know for sure, for sure, that not only was their dad there, but he was interacting with people, and I guess he got arrested, and they got his journal. Or, no. No, they got it from clearing out the hotel room that John had been They cleared out the hotel room, that's right. Sorry, I'm jumping around. What I don't like about this scene, or more about the cop, I guess, is so he flips through this journal, right? That's his words. Mm-hmm. He just flipped through. He stopped at this one page that says Dean thirty five one eleven, and he just knows that the guy he has in custody is Dean. Like I don't know how he made that connection, and it seems unbelievable to me. I think he just took a shot in the dark, yeah. and it actually worked for him. So he needs to go play the lottery <laughs> right away. <laughs> <laughs> so Dean's a smartass with the cops. And the cops are, like, pretty sure that Dean's the one who did it, or he's at least an accomplice in the this kidnapping ring, because 
it doesn't look good to be coming out of a hotel room <laughs> that is covered with the victims' faces. With all the victims on the wall. And a bunch of, like, ghosts and supernatural shit. Yeah, it just it doesn't look good. It's not, a, it's not a good vibe you're putting out in the world. Uh, Sam continues to investigate. He talks to the ghost's husband. And we learned that Ghosty actually murdered her children in, like, a fit of rage because she learned that her husband had cheated on her. And this is where we learned that John had gone around acting like a reporter to get information on all this. And Sam was also poorly acting as a reporter. like And rude. So rude and aggressive. Like, did you really need to go through all that to... So what we sort of inferred by this point is that the ghost is a specific genre of ghost called a woman in white, which only happens when a married woman, her spot or not I don't think she necessarily married. has to be married. Committed, the, sorry, yes, that's what I'm saying. That not married, but like a com- like a person like the in person a committed that relationship is unfaithful, so she murders the children. And then herself, because she can't live with her spouse or whoever being unfaithful to them. So all I can think here is that maybe Sam didn't do his research and he's just wanting to ver- verify that this is in fact a woman in white. But I don't know that that matters Yeah, because... that's exactly what he was doing. Because when he runs into Dean again, he's like, well, we're definitely dealing, like, he's confirmed it. But his method for dealing with a woman in white is the same method for dealing with any ghost. It doesn't seem like it's going to matter as much as long as you can still find the body and salt and burn it. That is a good point. Which it sounds like their dad was already doing. Sloppy field work. Yeah, the only pertinent information we get from this is that he now knows where the woman was buried. So he's going to go there. So as he's going there, he puts in a fake 911 call to the cop station, which allows Dean to escape. Dean calls his brother and is like, yo, I know where dad went. He left this case unfinished. He should have said, I don't care that this ghosty is killing people. I'm going somewhere else. We know that it's because he got a lead on the yellow-eyed demon, right? Right. Okay, so we now know that he got a lead on the yellow-eyed demon and just dropped this case to go chase that. And I guess the next several episodes are just him leading Dean (laughs) left and right to finish up his business. Because he can't take... Yeah, okay, he's focusing on the yellow-eyed demon, and so he sends the boys around to... Hunt in his place. He's like, I would take care of this ghost and this Wendigo and this vampire and this werewolf, but I'm not going to because I've got bigger things to deal, so I'm going to leave you, my two untrained sons, (laughs) to go take care of this. Wonderful. Only slightly more knowledgeable than your average citizen. But he didn't leave at least an itemized list in every spot. Jeez. Anyways, Sam then gets visited by Ghosty, so I guess he hung up with Dean at this point. And uh, he's off the phone. He's off the phone, and did he tell Dean where he was going? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Okay. For some reason, my memory is telling me that he hung up the phone, like, randomly. Because Dean showed up there. Yeah, Dean just shows up at the house conveniently. I don't know how he got there, because he didn't have a vehicle. <laughs> um, how he got there so timely... 
And I don't remember them exchanging, like, addresses, so how he knew specifically where to go. So <laughs> Supernatural. It's very supernatural how he shows up. Anyways, the ghosties, like, take me home and say I'm being a smart German. I was like, no, I will take you somewhere safer. <laughs> but uh, she locks the door, and we already know she can control the Impala, so she drives them to the house. And she tries to make Sam be unfaithful that she, so she can kill him. And she, I guess, just bypasses the rules and starts to get him a heart bypass when Dean starts shooting her, which it doesn't work because they weren't lead bullets? Well, right? it would have to be lead or, no, not lead, iron. It would have to be iron, iron bullets or rock salt. Alright, well, he's not using either of those, so it's not making her disappear, but it does make her distracted. And Sam uses this distraction to drive her and the Impala into the house. Again, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if she doesn't want to go in the house, her being currently in the car is not going to control that. Like, she should just be able to poof out of the... Eh. Anyways... Inside the house, Ghosty sees, like, a pickup for two kids, and then there's water running downstairs, and then you see the two creepy ghost children, and you realize she didn't want to go to the house because she was afraid of facing her ghost babies, and for good reason, because the ghost babies kill their mommy, and they melt into a puddle of water, and then the sound effects people actually put in the sound effect of water running down a drain. Well, because she drowned him in the bathtub, but like I, yes. can re- I can appreciate that poetic justice because like she killed her kids and then she couldn't face that, so she killed herself and she still couldn't face it until she was like forcibly put in front of them and had to face what she did. Mm-hmm. And now I want to talk about all this later in a later segment of Love It Hate It, so we'll talk about this a little later. Continuing on. They hop in the car. Now they know where John went next, but Sam's like, no, I gotta do my interview. And this makes Dean, like, pouty and selfish and sad, but he's a good big brother, and he takes them back to Stanford. He says, but we made a good team out there. And Sam says, nothing. <laughs> he just kind of nods. Sam's like, give me a call, we know you're out, we can meet up later and, like, do this again sometime. And it's one of those, like, things you say... Where everybody knows you don't actually mean it. Dean knows that even if he were to call Sam, Sam's not going to come meet up with him later. But it's like, you know, it's still a good goodbye. Like, if this were a movie, if they had stretched this out into a 90-minute movie, this would be like a really good, bittersweet ending, you know? Yeah. Sam goes inside, the shower's running, so he waits for Jess. He eats a cookie. She had cookies set up for him. And he ate one. It's not important. He, I'm just telling you. Okay. I was, like, trying to think, like, is that something that we see a lot later on, or... Nope. I nope. just felt like telling you. Okay. <laughs> um, he lays down, and he sees that Jess is on the ceiling, same as Mommy. You know, it's just something women, women like to do. Um, you know, flame on. And flame on. Flame on! The flame on joke, listeners, is because the first time you watched it with your friends. First time I watched it with my friends, we were in a group. We only watched the one episode. My best friend is a 
bit of a genius, and he quickly picked up on what was going to happen, and then the second before Jess lights on fire, he went, flame on! And she lit up. And we all died. (laughs) Dean dashes in, saves him. How the fuck Dean knew anything, I don't know. I know. I know. There is a deleted scene, which would have explained that. Um, He was parked just down the road, or just down the block, um, for some reason. Being emo and sad. And, like, his radio glitches out. And so he runs upstairs. They had to cut that out? That like Apparently they had to cut that out. <laughs> five second shot that explains so much. All I could think watching this was, man, he really couldn't let go. <laughs> <laughs> he was already like knocking on the door. <laughs> like, uh. Well, like I can imagine he's just, you know, parked down the road because like... Sad about Sam. He's like, well, I guess I should get a hotel room or something <laughs> for the night. And then his radio he, glitches out, and he's like, something's happening. All right, I'm just saying, considering the only signs we had with their mother's death was, like, a couple lights flickering, and it has been established that Sam's apartment is tucked up so far in that building that you need to take, like, three fire escapes <laughs> and two alleys to get out of there. I highly doubt Dean from a block away would be like, yo, I see lights flickering. Oop, I heard a scream. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I would have appreciated a scene, a shot, a half a second of Dean's radio glitching out so that he'd be like, the fuck? And which this, by the way, already establishes that Dean is a better hunter than Mary because same thing happened to Mary and she was like, toast normal. This is okay. <laughs> it's just the fixture around my light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have John call the electrician. Something has just, it's something short in here. I think maybe the glass <laughs> is faulty. <laughs> the glass is faulty. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what else it could be. It's sure, certainly no demons. <laughs> uh, the police and firefighters show up. And Sam is, like, rifling through the trunk of the Impala, which is by far the coolest trunk in all of Christendom. It's got everything. It's got everything. And he slams the trunk of the Impala, saying, we've got work to do. So he doesn't care about law school anymore. He doesn't want to handle this the normal way. (laughs) Once again, you bring up hunting in front of his girlfriend, he's like, no. And that's episode one. Dun, dun, dun. I feel good about it. Wonderful. It's a good wonderful. Start. <laughs> it wasn't as horrible as I thought it was going to be. If that makes sense. <laughs> that's good. Well, you know, a lot of times you go back to season one again and you're like, why did I get into this? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can see why people would not want to watch this show. Like, reading over my notes, it was pretty much just, like, fan commentary. <laughs> like, yeah. I got nothing about plot or nothing. <laughs> That's fine. Plot's why I'm here. Um, I do wonder, like, if the first time I had watched this, if I hadn't watched it surrounded by a bunch of friends who were... Obviously, when you watch things with a group of friends, you're not so much engaging with the show as you are engaging with each other. 
And I wonder if it had right, like a bunch your of- experience watching it with me was totally different because I was invested in the show, emotionally involved with the show, and you picked up on that. You got to see it through my eyes instead of you know just a group of friends trying something out. Yeah, but I also think like. If you and I had never seen the show before and sat down and watched the first episode together, I wonder if I would look at it with the same eyes now, you know, and be like, oh, this is a pretty fun show. My wife and I, like, we'll sit down and we'll try, like, the first episode of CW shows. And for the most part, like, and every now and then, a CW C-dub show will be okay and we'll try it for a little while. I'm pretty sure Supernatural might be the only... CW show that we do watch with any regularity, though. Well, like, I don't uh. think that I would like Supernatural as much now as I did in the beginning, but I'm in a different place in my life. I feel like Supernatural found me when I needed it, and I, I know that's, like, existential or whatever, like, the cosmos working, but that's how I feel. Like, if I came across it now, I think I would like it, But I don't think it would take a hold of my heart like it did in the beginning. It had a real emotional impact for you. Yes. Like, I don't think I've ever been... Like, no other show or movie or book or song. Mm -hmm. Supernatural rocked my world. (laughs) You dirty, dirty girl. Well, let's go into segment two. Themes, ongoing motifs, character. Um, Swan dive is an ongoing theme. Say that again? Uh, Dean first says that she took a swan dive over the bridge. Uh, Constance, the ghost. That is the first time that they use uh, the term swan dive. I think the second time is when John comes back to them Mm -hmm. not when we see him for the first time but when he comes back he says it about the blonde that we'll talk about but it it comes up a few times in the series i look for some more swan dives my first note on themes was the whole like dean hating normal but that's because like for him family means hunting and dean very much has like a family focus if only because at such a young age he had to become like an instant adult and take on a parent role. And mm-hmm. he made Sam his world, he made Sam his family, and the only way he knows to handle family is through hunting. So he hates normal because normal took Sam away from him. And the continuing theme of Sam chasing a non-hunter lifestyle. Yeah. Who <laughs> boy, it's going to be funny all the times. Like, Sam's like... Cool, Dean, you're dead. I guess I'll finally have a normal life. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he never quite gets it. Like, he, the most he ever got it, in the end, he chose Dean. So. I think the most he ever got a normal lifestyle was this two-year span, span at Stanford. Yeah, that would be true. That would be the longest, because the other time, Dean was only dead for a year. <laughs> It was just a year, and he was only dead. And Sam wasn't completely, like, mired up to his nose in supernatural bullshit. So, yeah, this might be the freest Sam has ever been, just because 
as I think we have proven somewhat in this very first episode, it's not like John actually took them hunting and trained them in how to hunt. Sam is aware of the supernatural and how to defend himself. Obviously, you saw him packing to go on this trip, and he was packing elaborate knives and shit, because every normal Stanford kid has those. Like, he had the defense, but he wasn't active, hadn't been active, didn't have connections, there's nothing supernatural out there that would be looking for him, so he was able to very easily and completely distance himself from that lifestyle, and unfortunately that meant distancing himself from Dean also. And I would, I'll be curious to look and see how much did he actually miss Dean? Because it's obvious Dean missed Sam. Oh, totally. But I wonder how much Sam actually missed Dean. For Dean, obviously, Sam and hunting and family all go together. Is it the same for Sam? And if Sam doesn't want hunting, does that mean he also doesn't want the family? I, like, I don't think that it's the same, but we see later on just how much... Sam cares for Dean Mm -hmm. in the same sense that, you know, Dean would do anything for Sam. Sam would do anything for Dean, but Sam doesn't need Dean Mm -hmm. around. He needs Dean alive. Mm -hmm. He loves his brother, but he doesn't need Dean around much. (laughs) As long as Dean is alive, Dean's fine with that. Or Sam's, damn it. (laughs) Sam, Dean, Dean, Sam, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean. Well, there, there's a line where Dean basically said, like, hey, we didn't talk for two years. He said, like, in two bo- years, I didn't call you, I didn't ask you for nothing. Yeah, which also implies that, you know, Sam also didn't call, which makes me think that something had to break in their, something had to have been broken or gotten broken when Sam went to well, Stanford. Well, because in the, in the big fight between John and Sam, I think... Dean would have been protective of Sam, but -hmm. back then, ultimately, he would have sided with John and, like, tried to convince Sam to stay. And so, in Sam's eyes, they both would have been the problem. And and Stanford wasn't the first time that Sam had run away. He ran away to Flagstaff a few years before that. Right. They do revisit this theme a lot throughout the series, which is why I thought it was important to go ahead and bring it up now. Just so we can oh, kind of keep an eye on it. Because, like, for Dean, this the hunting was never the problem, right? Right. Because Dean never never had a childhood, really. He went straight from being four years old to being a parent to his younger brother. So you can't, like, be mad at a childhood you didn't have, right? Right. Whereas he was, Dean was able to give Sam somewhat of a childhood, And Sam had just enough of a childhood to realize how fucked up his childhood was and resent that one, you know? I did read uh, some meta once about how Dean is always eating, and that's because growing up, anytime there was food, you made sure that Sam had it. So Sam's, you know, not worried about, you know, when he's going to eat next, and Dean is eating every chance he gets. Well, yeah, because we have that scene where they're in a hotel room, motel room, and it's, like, the last of, like, Dean's favorite cereal. But Sam's like, oh, but I wanted that cereal. And so Dean was like, okay, here you go. You can have the last of the cereal. The only cereal I like. <laughs> like, oh, poor Dean. I have such Dean feels. Other themes. Costumes. But also how costumes can relate to 
the characters. So, like, in this episode, we just had, like, their first rock star alias, Ted Nugent, and their first false badges. They didn't really worry about changing into costumes for anything, but costumes will become, like, a theme going on throughout the whole series. And we see the first time, first time Dean, we get to see Dean wearing his, uh, necklace. The Sam, Samulet, that's what it's called. We don't even know it's the Samulet yet. I'm looking at my Samulet right now. It's hanging on my bedroom door. The other supernatural necklaces you got me are hanging from my rear view. And I bet that's why my car has lasted this long. (laughs) (laughs) I have bought you quite a bit of supernatural memorabilia. You're very easy to shop for in that sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what my, all my Supernatural merch comes from you. <laughs> and isn't the brown jacket that Dean wears, doesn't that belong to John? Oh, yeah, that's John's jacket. That's why it's a little too big for Dean. It's like just as he starts to grow into it, he gets rid of it. So that was a question I had. Because, of course, like first time watching through, you're not thinking about anything. You're just like, oh, that's just what he wears. You find out later it was his dad's jacket. You go, oh, he's wearing his dad's jacket. But... Rewatching now, I was like, wait a second, his dad is fine. <laughs> why does, why did John give him his very functional jacket? Like, what was the scenario in which Dean was like, Dad, I'm cold? <laughs> well, like, I was like, here you go, son. <laughs> you know, this is early Dean, and I think in his eyes, you know, he wears it to be more like his dad. Like an armor against the world because he sees his dad as like the greatest hunter, which they haven't met very many at this point. No. But then later on, I think it gets to be more of a weight on him and he grows out of it. And so I like to see that transition of Dean where he sheds his father's clothes and becomes more himself, allows himself to be himself. Because there's, I think there's a lot of, of Dean that he tries to suppress because he doesn't agree with it, but he should let it shine. <laughs> no, I think especially through these first few seasons, we see a lot of growth in Dean, specifically having to do with, like, his father and family. Um, let's go through the last of these real quick. So from here, from this episode on, I'm pretty sure Sam and Dean have a system for what happens if we get separated, because this lack of system with Dad is real problematic. <laughs> and henceforth, we have the, when you don't know, you go to town, first hotel, such name, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm pretty sure and this... they have their code words of Poughkeepsie and Funky Town. Exactly. And I've got gum on my shoe, which means you're being followed. Things like that. Yeah, things like that. I'm pretty sure this first episode is the impetus for the all that, because I'm, I can just so see them talking later, like, you know how we got to that hotel, and, like, Dad hadn't even checked out, and we could have found that pretty easily if we just gone to motels first? <laughs> Let's have a system, in case we ever get separated. Let's do this. Um, other themes, getting arrested, interacting with police, escaping custody, like, that's going to be something that happens a lot. Sam being a smarty. <laughs> Judgy, whiny. Pushing Dean aside to type in, maybe it wasn't murder, but maybe it was suicide. Oh, and a theme of Sam trying to get Dean to talk about things. Big theme. 
big thing. What what aggravates me about that is, as we'll see throughout the show, Sam is quite often trying to get Dean to talk about things, but then anytime Sam is dealing with something and Dean tries to get him to talk about it, he like just shuts him down. And I'm like, no, you cannot try to get people to talk about things when you refuse to talk about things. He may have been soulless at the time. Let's just agree they are both really, really bad at just talking about what is happening inside of themselves. Uh, and the only other big theme theme was Erect Impala. <laughs> like, how many times does Dean have to build that stupid thing up from the ground? I mean, they did, there was a great little detail of one of the headlights being out as they were driving away from the house. <laughs> Good. And the last little thing I wanted to mention before we go, um, I don't know what other themes you have, but no. at one point, Dean is, you know, yelling back at Sam. He's saying, you're going to have to face up to who you really are. And that just gave me such, like, bisexual Dean feels. Just like, Dean, sooner or later, you're going to have to face up to who you really are. Oh, absolutely. Let's just let's just own it. Did you have any other, like, reoccurring, ongoing character things to mention? Nope. Okay. And so, I guess with that, let's go on to the very last little section. What did you love? What did you hate? You want to do hate first and then love, just so we end on a positive note? I really hated the husband's emotional scene where he's telling Sam to get the hell out of here, man. It was so oh. cringy and awkward to me. I hated the whole thing. Oh, just in the sense that, like, Sam was obviously pushing a person into, like, really painful memories unnecessarily. No, I just found his acting unbelievable and awful. Oh, <laughs> you know that too. <laughs> oh, that's nice. uh, okay, for me, I hated how for first episode, first case, straight out of the gate, they didn't actually solve this mystery or affect anything. For all we know, that ghostie isn't even dead. Like she just was reunited with her kids. <laughs> And now she and her two kids can go out there and kidnap people off the street. Like, <laughs> they like they'll just join up with her because they hate that their daddy did that bad thing too. <laughs> yeah, I would be. I would be mad at daddy. Like, oh, dad, you you caused us to die. Okay, let's go out and kill all those other bad men out there so they don't cause other kids to die. Like, they don't... Which, really, shouldn't the- she go after him, too? Like, has he just avoided that stretch of road for all these he years? He must have. Because... Like, can you blame him? <laughs> well, no, I don't blame him, but I think he should have been one of the ones to go awful after. Agreed. Agreed. Especially if he was a bad actor, right? <laughs> His death scene would be horrible, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna lay here and die now. I'm dying. Here I go. Oh, egg. Here I go again. On the stage. <laughs> Chasing the stars again. Here I go. Ugh. Turn the page. Uh, yeah. 
So they didn't find her corpse. They didn't even try and check and see if Dad actually did succeed in softening burning her corpse. They didn't find the baby's corpses. They didn't find any of the victims. Nope. They just saw they just saw her like melt so much like a wicked witch of the West, and they're like, "Yeah, job's done." <laughs> yeah, <happy laughs> drove the fuck out of there. <laughs> I give them a C minus. <laughs> they passed, but with little effort. I don't even think they passed. I think. As far as they saw it, ghosts disappeared, so I guess we're good. Ghosts aren't yeah, a priority. we haven't seen any other spirit get vanquished that way. Not at once. I mean, not that they've encountered another woman in white, but we haven't had another spirit that instead of salting and burning, they have to confront their sin and then melt <laughs> into the floor. No other spirit has died that way. Or been vanquished. Just like that Dean way. says, oh, I guess, I guess you found her weakness. <laughs> like, oh gosh. They definitely clean up the lore going on from here. Oh, yeah, it gets better. The only way I can headcanon this is that, again, finding their dad is the priority, not the ghosts. So they figure job well enough done, we're alive, let's get out of here and go find dad. But, no, I hated how, for a show that is going to, is going to be all about finding cases, solving cases as a family. First case out of the gate, they don't solve it. <laughs> they didn't do any of that. <laughs> they didn't do anything. Like, all they did was damage the Impala a little bit and emotionally traumatize a husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> Alright, well, what did you love about this episode? I loved... Um, the scene where Dean's getting arrested, where he's just like a jokey smartass with the cop. So, U.S. Marshal, fake credit cards. You got anything that's real? My boots. And I love it because it's it's a much happier Dean, a much goofier yeah. Dean. Like, they've so been carefree. through so much. And I feel like a lot of their ability to laugh and smile has been so weighed down. So. That is something that I admire about the series as a whole. It, it's also what makes the series so hard to watch as a whole, is because at no point in the series does something awful happen to one of the characters, and in the very next episode, they're just okay. You know, there, there's not that, like, there's not that Star Trek sy syndrome of... They are extremely affected by their lives. Exactly. And... There is a lot of, like, PTSD and... Unresolved trauma. Trauma they have to deal with. And it makes the show hard to watch just because they don't necessarily deal with it in a healthy way. And they have definitely become, like, very proficient killers. <laughs> and, like, killing is how they deal with their stress, it seems. Uh, Dean turns to drinking a lot, which is sad. Because that's what John now. did. It's what he knows. It's what he learned from John. I mean, we definitely got many references from Sam about John's drinking. But yeah, but those are things that were ongoing. But yes, it is very good to see them happy and carefree. Even though it, Sam is still an emo little schmuck. No <laughs> Sam. What I liked about this episode was from here on out, pretty much every episode is going to start the way this episode did. A usually or seemingly very innocent family being attacked by the supernatural. And that's what we're going to see from here on out with 
few exceptions, of course. But I like how they establish that with the first family that becomes victim of the supernatural is the Winchester family. And so it kind of puts me in that mindset of going forward whenever we see another innocent or not so innocent family being set upon by the supernatural. It's not like the Winchesters coming in as hunters to save the day. It's the Winchesters coming in as like... A family who's also been... Man, our family got hit too. Like, what can we do to help? Yeah. And I like that they kind of established that in the very first five minutes of the series. And again, with the the seemingly happy or, you know, seemingly normal family, it, it gives the impression that, you know, the supernatural happens to just anybody whether whether you started dabbling in it on your own or it just happened to you mm-hmm. to be fair mary brought this shit on herself oh she did this but i'm not this was, yeah we won't know that for several more seasons but my gosh this poor family I mean, we can't talk about the first episode without talking about all of the stuff you find out no so much led up to this first episode that it doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, you have right. to acknowledge that Mary made a deal. And, and that's an reoccurring theme. <laughs> yeah, making deals, that's a big theme. Anyway, but that is so far in the future. <sighs> first episode. In the bag. We got this. Yay. Air high five. Air high five. Drop that. Um... Oh, I was going to... We don't really have time. Do you want to hear about the myth that the white woman is actually based on? Sure. All right. Wikipedia. The white woman is based off of La Llorona. In Mexican folklore, La Llorona is a ghost of a woman who lost her children and now cries while looking for them in the river, often causing misfortune to those who are near or who hear her. There is no credible source or... Evidence to the events that inspired the tale slash legend of La Llorona. Hmm. So usually around a river, which is, I guess, why they brought in the bridge. bridge. Over the river. Or stream. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a, a very beautiful woman and love and riches and the husband fell out of love and so she drowned the children and blah, 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 blah. And then yeah. looking for them. Hmm. Whole, like, little legend behind it. And the legend pretty much lines up with what they did in the show. So, good job, Supernatural. I think it, we should make a point to, at some point in our episodes, to kind of connect the monster or the legend in the show and how much it relates to or how much basis it has in the real world. Yes, so like I'm all about that. Next week next week we'll be talking about when Wendigo. Wendigo Wendigo and what basis that that uh monster has in I'm not gonna say reality <laughs> <laughs> in like actual folklore. Folklore? Oh my gosh, folklore. folklore. And folklore. <laughs> Alright, so Next week, we have Season 1, Episode 2, Wendigo. Sam and Dean follow the coordinates in their father's journal and land in Colorado, where they investigate the disappearance of several campers. It's a good episode. Um, you think it's a good episode? Are you going to like this one? Yes, I'm going to like this episode. 
I'll be honest though, there's a few that I, I don't like and I uh, skip over <laughs> when I rewatch. So this is one of the ones you rewatch? Oh yeah. I like the Wendigo episode ah. a lot. It's a good one. You know, I, I seem to not have great memories about Wendigo, but it is where we get the saving people, hunting things, you know, the family business. <laughs> I love it's from that, that episode, episode, right? In the recap at the beginning, because the way they, like, edited the shot, it's like Dean's just shaking his head back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> He's just doing the... the the family business. The cat preparing to leap, like, just bending back and forth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that complete... I think we have talked the shit out of Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. And then some. Of Supernatural, and then a lot more. I'm, I'm kind of excited about talking about these episodes in the context of the series at large, especially since the series had, like, hasn't ended. You know, it's still ongoing. There's still things that can change canon as we go forward. Oh, it's kind of exciting really crazy to think of it. If, like, while we're doing this, or maybe, like, when Supernatural finally ends, because it will, we could do, like, a comparative episode of, like, the very first and then the final. Like, I think that would be beautiful. And just <laughs> really fun. So we go through episode one to episode... 350, whatever. <laughs> and then we're like, what are we going to do now? Well, now we have to do a comparative episode. Comparative series. <laughs> where we compare episode 1, episode 350. Episode 2, episode 349. Episode 3, episode 358. It will never end. Do you hear me? <laughs> this show, sister, we're going to continue to talk brothers. <laughs> for like, ever. 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 All right. Yeah, you can find me on Tumblr at Kindle Abroad. And which Tumblr do you want to go by? Um, you can find me on Tumblr at Jailbreak Fiend. Noise. Oh, or my Misha blog. <laughs> I have a Misha blog. <laughs> yes, you should put that one forward. <laughs> What's your Misha blog? Yeah, that one's Our Overlord. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> but for us and related to the show, you can reach us by email at Sisters Talk Brothers at gmail.com. I think that's gonna do us. Do us and do it and do the show for now until next week. So, tune in next week for more monsters, more brothers, and more sisters. <laughs>